This podcast is a service of South Canyon Baptist Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. For more information about our church, visit southcanyonbaptist.org. All right, well, I think we're ready to get started. Um, We made some extra handouts, so I think Jerry Schaefer has some of those if people are walking in if you need one. But we are continuing uh, in this this life class during the month of May. We've been joining together here in the uh, in the worship center uh, on the topic of equipped and, and looking at tools for just for discipleship. And so today the theme is uh, is on sharing the gospel from a biblical text. Um, and just a little bit of an overview. The first week, Pastor Brent was just sharing about reading the Bible um, with, uh, with some other people, getting together regularly, whether that's called a D group, small discipleship group, tryout, whatever you want to call it. But just getting together with a couple other people, a couple other guys if you're a guy, a couple other women if, if, you're, a, if you're a woman. But, um, and we, we also, we did hand out... Um, the first week, and I think since then, each household, each individual um, who needs a copy, uh, a book called One-to-One Bible Reading by David Helm. So if anyone never got one of those these last couple weeks, if your, your family, your household doesn't have one, um, we, can, we can get one of those to you because it'll be really helpful in terms of this class and in what we're trying to do during the year here. Um, so anyway, and then last week, Pastor Tanner taught on the topic of prayer from a b- biblical text and how to take a, a text. It could be a psalm. Psalms are great for this, but it, it could be, I mean, really, might, some might be tough, but almost any text that we could, we could read, we could use also as a, um, an inspiration and a, and a kind of a structure for our prayer. And so um, one thing that we talked about and I was going to just open us with today is just to, to do that again and kind of do that together um, using one of the prayers of Paul, and uh, Tanner had mentioned Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Now, if anyone would like to volunteer and use that passage to pray for us to open, I think you kind of hinted at that. So if anyone, if anyone had prepared to do that or is interested in doing that, um, that would be great. But I understand if, if not, I can, uh, I can go ahead and do that. So let me read through Ephesians 3, and then let's, uh, let's just use that as a, a way for us to pray together. It's Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. And Lord, uh, what else can we really say after that? Um, But we we just, as we kind of meditate on uh, some of the the many truths, the many wonderful uh, statements in this passage, in this prayer, uh, we just remember that you are our Father because because of the gospel, because of Jesus. We can call you Father. We can bow our knees before you. And you are the one that uh, that gives every every family, every father. Um, we are only shadows uh, of the, the greater reality, which is you and the way that you care uh, for uh, your children, care for what you've made. And uh, we thank you for that. We do pray that we would be strengthened, that your spirit would come and would help us and strengthen us with power um, so, that, so that Christ would be uh, in our hearts uh, through faith, that we would sense um, his presence, we would sense his nearness, we would sense his, his mercy and his compassion um, through faith that we, will, we would be able to grasp that. Uh, and, and we think, too, of just the words uh, of Paul saying that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. God, we're gathered here together today, uh, not just as an individual, 
or a couple of people, but as, as a whole uh, body of the local church. And we want to, together, we want to comprehend uh, just the great love of Christ. We want to comprehend uh, the gospel and all that you have done for us, all the promises you have fulfilled through Christ. Um, and help us to do that together. Help us to help one another uh, to do that. And so we do just give you all the, the praise and the glory uh, in the church and forever and ever. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, kind of now looking at our topic for, for this week, um, just as a kind of a, to set, to set the stage a little bit here, in that David Helm book, One-to-One Bible Reading, um, towards the beginning, uh, David Helm actually shares four reasons that we might want to get together and, and read the Bible with another person, or in our case, maybe a couple of other people. Uh, and those four reasons that are on the handout are salvation, sanctification, training, and relationship. Uh, and so just to look at those briefly, so salvation, and, and I know Pastor Brent mentioned this on the first week, but some triads, and this would be a really good thing, some triads might be meeting with a couple other people who are maybe your coworkers, maybe neighbors, um, people who might be open to looking at the Bible, open to learning more about Christianity, but not necessarily uh, believers themselves, or that might just not be clear. And so this would be a, an instance, right, where the reason for getting together, reading the Bible with them, is salvation. Your prayer, uh, your desire would be that these friends or these neighbors, acquaintances, would be saved. And you trust that God's Word uh, is powerful to save. So just looking at a, a couple of passages uh, that, that kind of support and, and teach us about this, uh, James one twenty one says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then also 1 Peter 1, in verse 23, he writes to the, to the church, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Um, and so we, we trust and we know that, that it's God's word that, uh, that has the power to save, which is able to save souls, as James says. And then just as a little brief aside, while we're under this point of uh, the reason, meeting for the reason of salvation, um, in one of those triads that's more evangelistic, uh, there is, Brent talked about the, the coma method for kind of looking at a, looking at a text, and that's shared in the book. Um, but there's another method that's mentioned, uh, and if you, you have your book and you want to read about this later, it's, in, it's on page 43 of the one-to-one -one Bible reading book. But it's called the Swedish method, um, and that might be a really good approach to consider if, if you're meeting with more seekers or unbelievers, someone who's unfamiliar with the Bible, the coma might seem a little intimidating or, or beyond their, their, their reach. And so in that Swedish method, it's really simple. You read out loud the, the passage, and then each person is just going to look for three things. And that's a light bulb, which just means something that kind of stands out, something that seems important. Just, I mean, it's, it's like an observation, right? But we're not having people try to do what's the context, what's the meaning, kind of maybe this deeper digging that, uh, that could be intimidating. But just a light bulb, something that stands out, uh, a question mark, something that, that they can see is, it just seems hard to understand, or something that, oh, if you could ask the author of this book, right, if you could ask Peter or ask Paul uh, about this, um, that would be great. And then thirdly, an arrow, just something that, that does apply personally to your life, something that you, as you read it, it you feel it connects to you. So just a, a simpler method, and it could be, could be good in that kind of evangelistic setting. So you can read through that. might be something to consider. So that was reason one, salvation. Reason two is sanctification. Um, so if we're meeting with other people from South Canyon who, you know, who profess faith or who are members of this church, then certainly a goal for that time together is sanctification. We can... We can encourage each other. We can build one another up. We can speak the truth uh, in love. We can teach one another. And so, again, just a few passages that um, we can think about in terms of sanctification process, uh, discipleship taking place in this kind of a, 
setting, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing, Paul says. And then Hebrews, we, we, we preached on this a while back, but Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the, dece the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, and then Romans 15.14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So, again, we, we know and we trust that, that God's word is going to help us to grow and that um, as 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about God's word, right, it says that it's profitable for training in righteousness, among, among many other things. And then even the Great Commission, right, Matthew 28 uh, in verse 20, where Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples, but one of the ways that happens, part of the way uh, that we fulfill that is through teaching others, right, part of discipleship, teaching others to observe all that he commanded. And we can all teach uh, one another as we look at God's word and as we, we kind of uh, are seeking to apply it uh, personally to, uh, to, to ourselves in our day. And then the third, a third reason for, for meeting like this would be training. Um, and so I think 2 Timothy 2.2 is a great example of kind of what's in mind here, where, where Paul writes to Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So part of our goal in meeting with others, being intentional about discipleship, uh, is this idea of reproducing uh, discipleship, that we would see other men or other women grow and, and become more mature uh, in their faith, even as we grow and become more mature, so that these others can be equipped and be more confident to then be able to go on, maybe at some point, and turn around and disciple others. So training so that there's more discipleship taking place. It's, it's reproducing. Um, and then finally, relationship is the fourth reason. So another goal of these, these triads or these groups is that people would form deep relationships, deeper relationships, that there would be true friendship where we can really get to know each other beyond just the superficial. We can share our burdens with one another, help encourage and spur on real transformation. Um, so with those four reasons in mind, our focus this morning is on learning how to share the gospel from a biblical text. And the reason I wanted to kind of talk about those reasons is, okay, clearly what we're talking about, our, our theme today is very applicable to reason number one, right? Salvation. If you're, if you're doing a triad, you're sitting down reading the Bible with, with seekers or with unbelievers, you can apply this very directly in terms of, okay, you can read a passage from Scripture and then try to use that have that be a launching point to be able to explain the gospel to someone. Uh, but I want to also kind of emphasize and share that this can also be applicable for our triads when we're meeting with other Christians, other members of this church. Um, it's, it's applicable for reason number two, for sanctification, because it's going to help us to grow in our faith as we can learn and, and hone our skills in being able to see Christ in all of Scripture. So, you know, if we read something in Genesis about the flood or we read something from Malachi because, uh, you know, we're reading through the prophets or we read some Proverbs, you know, how can we connect that to the gospel? Uh, and, and, of course, we know that the New Testament uh, and Jesus particularly makes it really clear that the, the Hebrew scriptures and the whole Bible uh, points to him and prepares, uh, prepares the way for his coming. And so, of course, you know, in Luke 24, 27, on the road to Emmaus, uh, Luke describes, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Again, that Bible study that we all wish we had been there for. We wish it was recorded. Uh, and then John 5, 39, where Jesus, uh, talking to the Pharisees, says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So we want to be able to, we know that's true, we want to be able to, to, to see Christ uh, throughout the scriptures and to be able to connect what we're reading to the gospel, uh, even when at times that seems challenging. So part of our own spiritual growth, part of our maturity in, in being able to understand and rightly handle God's word is learning to see how it points us to the gospel of Christ. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 
um, where the exhortation is, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So then what we're what we're looking to go over is something we hope that people can use in, in every discipleship group as they're reading God's Word together. Um, you could think of it as practice, right? Um, as training, learning how to, to have gospel lenses on as you study Scripture because it's going to encourage and it's going to help you to grow. Because all of us, right, we know this. This is why we're here this morning, hopefully is we need to be reminded of the gospel every day. We need to be reminded of the gospel every week, every time we're opening our Bibles. Um, as it's been said, and I know uh, Pastor Brent often will, will quote, uh, that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, right? but it's the A to Z. We don't begin there and then move on, uh, but it, it really is our life from beginning to end. Um, so that's reason two. It relates to our sanctification. It also relates to training. Um, and in particular... Again, as each person within a triad, and this wouldn't just be for the leader to do this or to always demonstrate this, but for each person to be able to do this, as they practice sharing the gospel, as they practice finding the gospel, they're developing that skill so that one day, again, if they move on from there and start their own triad, they can teach some other people to do the same thing. Or they can use it in an evangelistic setting uh, in being able to help them explain the gospel to, to a friend or a coworker. Um, and not just having to go to, to some sort of pre-planned outline of you know, using the Romans road or something like that, uh, even though that's fine, but maybe more naturally they can just talk about, you know, I read this psalm in my, in my uh, devotions this morning, or my, my pastor just preached on this, this text, and then to be able to use that uh, as, a, as a point to then share the gospel from. So this can be for the purpose of training as well so that those who learn how to do that can then, like in 2 Timothy 2, 2, go on and entrust that to others who can then teach others. So, now, where the rubber meets the road, how, how do we do this? Um, first of all, what I want to talk about, or kind of just present, is this idea of four gospel buckets. And uh, the four gospel buckets are not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, but this is just a simple way to summarize or to break down the gospel kind of the gospel story into four words or, or major categories. And those are simply God, man, Christ, response. Um, and each of those words, each of those four words, is addressing one of four crucial questions that is we can ask and answer, you know, really present kind of the core of the gospel. Um, so that little black book that we often give out uh, to folks when they uh, come to our discovery class or come to the church um, by Greg Gilbert, what is the gospel? It's Tanner's old pastor. Um, he, he shares these four crucial questions, and I just want to walk through those because they help us maybe hone in on what these four uh, words are talking about. So the first one, uh, again, going with God, man, Christ's response. The first question, who made us and to whom are we accountable? We are accountable to the God who created us. So this God who's the creator, the judge, the king, we are accountable to him. Um, he is holy and he's majestic. And, uh, but then number two, this would go with man, right? What is our problem? In other words, are we in trouble and why? And the answer is we have sinned against that God and will be judged. So that's our problem, right? The problem of sin, uh, that it sets us up to recognize that we, uh, we are in trouble, we need a savior. And then number three, of course, Christ uh, what is God's solution to that problem? How has he acted to save us from it? And the answer is God has acted in Jesus Christ to save us. And of course, there's a lot more to explain there, a lot more to, to describe what Jesus' work uh, was that he did for our salvation. But then finally, number four, uh, the response piece. How do I, myself, right here, right now, how do I come to be included in that salvation? What makes this gospel, good news for me and not just for someone else? And the answer again is we take hold of that salvation by repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. And so if, if you were to read through some passage in your, in your, in your own home, in your family devotions, in, in, a, in a small group or, a, or in a tribe, in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So again, thinking about if we were going to try to only pick one, if we were going to try to boil it down to one, one of these four buckets to put, to put this passage into, which one would we choose? And maybe just kind of, you know, this isn't a huge commitment, but just quick straw poll. Who, who, would, uh, who would vote for, for God as, the, as their choice? Okay. Uh, how about man? Votes for man? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of for man. Good. Um, how about Christ? Who would, who would pick Christ? Tanner? like how you think. Um, and how about response? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, definitely good, good case for that as well. Yeah, and so again, I, I, there's, there's a strong argument to be made for, for, for more than one, certainly. So I saw a lot of people, you know, raising their hand for man, and I think that's pretty clear, like our sin, a lot of talk about the wicked. So basically, I think when we read this, one of the things, hopefully, that we recognize, one of the things we can see is we all fall short of what this psalm is describing, right? We know we've all been influenced and enticed by, by wickedness, by worldliness. We've, we've joined with other sinners in their scoffing, right? We've, we've failed. We all know we've failed to delight in God's word, you know, as we should, as this, as this psalm describes. Uh, and really, if, we're, if, we're, if we can truly be honest and truly be humble before God's word, we we recognize that we all deserve to be driven away like the chaff, right, by God's judgment. Uh, but then, again, the good thing is we can, we can start there, we can see that in this psalm, but then we can go on from there to, to continue to share the gospel, right, and say, but the God, the God who made us, the God who does have the right to judge us for our sin, he has sent a Savior, um, and the Savior we, we need to respond to in faith and repentance. Um, Christ certainly... And, and this one, maybe, maybe this isn't as obvious or immediately doesn't jump out. Um, but again, this is just where you can exercise these muscles and begin to see some of these things. But, but I think there's a strong case to be made for, for Christ. Uh, certainly, it's an effective uh, way to share about Christ. Because the reality is there's only one man, okay? Only one person who's ever lived who really embodies this psalm. And it's Jesus, of course. Like the Son of God who became man and lived on this earth, and he, he never joined sinners in their sin, right? He was never influenced by evil, but he, he loved God's word. He loved God's law. He obeyed God's law perfectly. He was that, you know, that healthy and abundant tree giving forth fruit, teaching people about God the Father, healing people, um, and, yet, and yet he willingly went to the cross for us. He he experienced that being driven away like chaff. He experienced God's judgment. He, he perished as, a, as if he were a wicked person, right, uh, with sinners in his death. And that was so that, so that sinners like us could have the hope, could have uh, the ability to stand in the congregation of the righteous, right? None of us belong there, but through Christ taking the judgment for us, we can have that, that hope and have that reality of standing in the congregation of the righteous. We can be those fruitful trees that can endure forever in the presence of God. And again, it's all through, uh, through his perfect life for us. Now, I think you could also, you could make a case for God, and, and you could certainly make a case for response, like this is, should be our response of, of faith, you know, in God, seeking after his word and, and, and loving it, and just our sanctification. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think you could make some of those other cases as well. But does that, yeah, does that kind of make sense? Any questions on that so far? Good. And so to look at this just for a minute from a slightly different angle, um, this is something I shared with, with my youth group uh, a few weeks ago. But often these, these same gospel buckets, I kind of use these to often to think through our Sunday morning worship. Uh, and again, just maybe thinking about this from a different angle can help just continue to get the, the juices flowing. But um, when I'm thinking through our songs that we do on Sundays for a, for a worship service, certainly I'm thinking of uh, our songs, our scripture readings, our prayers, and also wanting to tie those in with Pastor Brent's sermons, the sermon text, the themes there. 
But I'm also have in the back of my mind too, like wanting to design a worship service that, that kind of tells the story of the gospel, that there is kind of this sense of, you know, God, man, Christ response. So just as an example of that, um, if I'm thinking number one of, about the, the point of God, songs that are talking about God as, as the creator, the, the majestic one, holy and glorious. So a song like Behold Our God that starts out, you know, who has held the oceans in his hand? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Now, again, most songs, they're not only going to have one, one of those four points in them, right? There's even some response there, like we should adore him. Um, and then there's other verses in that song that also talk about the gospel. But but the point is, that's a song that helps us if we're starting out the service, really focusing on the majesty, the glory of God as, as creator and sovereign. Um, so then point two, man, uh, songs that confess our sin and our need uh, for a savior, maybe songs that kind of express repentance. So, you know, a song like, Lord, I need you. Um, a song uh, that, the really terrific hymn, Come Ye Sinners, is one of the best ones that comes to mind where that just starts out, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Uh, and then point number three, Christ, um, a song that, you know, that will kind of fit into that gospel bucket, hopefully cover that, that point, is going to be something that's really centered on the gospel and hopefully is even specifically describing or, or referring to Jesus, like his substitutionary atonement in our place as our sacrifice, um, how he died on the cross in our place for our sins, right? Uh, and, and actually, this is a little bit of an aside, but it's interesting. There can be a lot of songs that seem to really be about the gospel a lot and be about Jesus a lot, but they may not actually mention that specifically. You, you'd actually be surprised sometimes. So if you, uh, you probably don't look at worship lyrics as often as I do, but if you're ever looking at a song, just kind of Think about, like, does this actually have that, that message, that idea of substitutionary atonement here? Um, and it doesn't mean the songs that don't are bad, but just you can't assume because a song is about Jesus that it's actually reminding us and teaching us about that specific part of the gospel. Um, but hopefully we want that in there somewhere in a scripture reading, in a song that that's clearly proclaimed. Um, so a song like Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery you know, it says, Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon a tree, in the stead of ruined sinners, right? In the place of ruined sinners, hangs the lamb in victory. So, um, and then number four, point four, response. Uh, and, f you know, for songs, this is easy. Just, it could be a response of thanksgiving, of, of commitment, devotion, of adoration. Uh, it could also be kind of thinking about our hope of heaven, right? The, the hope that we have, the future um, so, again, a song like More Than I Deserve that we often sing, where the chorus just says, Oh, what a gift you gave. Oh, what a price you paid. More than I deserve. Your constant faithfulness, your, your every promise is more than I deserve. Um, so, again, in, same as with songs as with, uh, as with passages of Scripture. Not every, uh, in, in a worship service, not every uh, one of those buckets is going to be necessarily covered by one individual song because we have other parts of our service. We may have a prayer of confession that kind of covers our sin, that, that topic, or a scripture reading, uh, or it could be a prayer of thanksgiving that's kind of functioning as a response. Um, and then the same way, as we saw with Psalm 1, songs can certainly be, fall into multiple categories, multiple buckets. Um, but the larger point being that I want our worship services uh, and in particular, thinking about what we sing together to be telling the story of the gospel. And so in the same way as we're reading a passage of scripture with other people, that can hopefully connect us to the story of the gospel. Even in the times when it seems challenging to connect a reading to Christ or to the gospel, um, we, we can get there. So we're going to try to practice that a little bit more. Um, and I think some of these passages are, are listed in your handout there as well. So let's look at Exodus chapter 1, and uh, the one difference here today is that I didn't want to have us going through really big, long passages. You might often be reading through 
in some cases, a whole chapter, right, in your, in your group, and we don't really have time to look at a whole chapter. In some ways, the whole chapter is easier because there's more there to, to work with. You can say, well, there's that and there's that. Smaller passages, obviously, there's, there's less content, less connections to make, but I think we can do that um, effectively. We'll see. So uh, Exodus 1, I'm going to read it, but I would love for people who are willing to go out on a limb to, uh, to share kind of what they would see, what they would pick. Um, so we'll, we'll pass the mic around if, if people are, just be bold. Um, so let me, read, let me read these verses, and I'm sure most of you kind of know the, the context, the story of this a little bit, talking about kind of the beginning of Exodus where the Pharaoh is uh, persecuting Israel. But so verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. And then jumping down to the bottom uh, of the, the chapter here, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So again, um, anyone have a strong sense of, that what they would pick, God, man, Christ response, just in view of, again, there's a lot more to the story, right, of Exodus, and there's a lot to come, but if you're just focusing on those verses, what do you think you would pick? Anyone want to give it a shot? Yeah, I would pick, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd pick man, uh, definitely focusing on sin, the Pharaoh's sinful uh, acts here and dealing with the Jewish people. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's definitely really clear. Sin is on display, right? A sinful ruler, a sinful, you know, people being willing to not only oppress and enslave, but even, you know, kill. I mean, it's, it's basically genocide. Uh, people who are, and, and, you know, it's racial and ethnic as well, right? People who are different, people who they fear. Uh, so we see that. And also, I mean, this is God's people, right? So to be going against them, oppressing, wanting to, to kind of crush, wipe them out, um, and keep them down. So yeah, we definitely see that very, very strongly, very clearly. Um, and I think, and then again, that's something that people would resonate with, like, yes, this is the kind of world we live in. We see this happen time and time again throughout history, and we, <laughs> we're in trouble. Like, our world really needs help. Um, any, other, any other arguments that anyone would make other than man? When I look at this and read it, I see the oppression like you mentioned. And in the last verse, we see where they start killing the children. We need a Savior. So I, I see Christ, the need for Christ here. Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah, I just think of, um, you know, there's that, that movie that was made, Prince of Egypt, and they have just the beautiful song, right, Deliver Us, right? It's so clear for God's people in that, in that moment, just crying out for a deliverer, crying out for that rescuer, definitely. Tanner? Uh, yeah, uh, I think those are both great as well. We see, we see man, and we see man's sin. We also see the, the promise of Christ. I just think it's neat how we see God at work here, where man thinks he's going to crush the plan. He's going to, you know, uh, take out the Hebrews. But as we see in verse uh, 22... You know, um, even though he he commands that every uh, son of the Hebrews is put in the Nile, we see Moses ends up, you know, getting put in the Nile, but being saved. And through that, you know, the seed has continued to be preserved all the way to Christ. So, yeah, this is obviously man and Christ, um, but I think it, it really exalts God and his, you know, sovereignty and plan as well. Definitely. Yeah, it's good. Anyone else inspired yet? Yeah, Leonard. You know, I, I would, if we're sharing the gospel with someone, especially in this verse, we read this verse, 
You know, most of us think that we're not that bad. You know, here this Pharaoh, he was a bad guy, and he did this to the children of Israel, but I'm not that bad. And so we have to make sure, you know, somebody has to know that they're, they're sick before they need a doctor. They need to know their sin, and the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, uh, and James says, even if you've only sinned one point, he, uh, you're guilty of all. And so we all, I mean, every one of us, it's not the kings or it's not the bad guys, but because we, we can put ourselves in a pretty good position. You know, we can always find somebody that is uh, more wicked than we are, even if we know we're not right. And so if we, we need, we, the, the need for a savior is, is very clear here. No, that's good, and that's, and that's a good reminder that, again, hopefully we can connect what we're reading to, to the gospel. We can see, we can find the gospel there or find a connection to one of those, those four categories. We still, we still need, uh, we may need to do more explanation. We may need to even look at some other scripture passages, right, to make sure we're not just saying, like, oh, look, man is sinful, and especially these, like, cruel, you know, dictator leaders, but... We need to make sure people know all, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, as I always do, I have to have more scripture to prove all these points. But as you've got to read it all. God, he used the midwives. Sure. He has the remnant to bring through his, his promises and what he is doing, so it's all there. You know, it you is. You just have it to is. read more. No, you're no, you're right. And I just, yeah, we could have read the whole chapter. I know. And then very clearly, yeah, I think you could find all four of them there. And that was, yeah, I was only trying to limit it a little bit, but yeah, you're you're very right. And I think the only other thing I would say is, you know, and and Bill talked about again just that need for a savior, the need for a deliverer that we see there, even just in those few verses. I think we also see. And this is kind of this more bi bigger biblical theological theme. But, you know, all the way back in Genesis 3, there's this promise that there's enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, right? And so Pharaoh here, and this happens more than once, right? We especially think of King Herod, right, trying to kill all the, the baby boys in Bethlehem uh, in the Gospels. So it happens again right on the cusp of, of Jesus uh, arriving. But also here with Moses, who is, again, a, like kind of a foreshadow, a type of Christ. We see the seed of the serpent who's seeking to destroy, right, and just wipe out the seed of the woman. And he's, he's wanting to, even if he doesn't actually know it, he's it's, it's that wanting to kill the promised child, right, and not, not have a deliverer like this rise up. I mean, it was based out of fear, right, that the, the Israelites would be strong and would um, escape or fight against them. So... Um, that's another aspect of Christ and seeing like this foreshadowing of, of even the story of, of Jesus and uh, his birth as well. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's try another one. This is great. Everyone has really good, uh, really good insights, and um, thanks for sharing. Uh, we want to look at Ruth. And again, this may bug people. We're not going to read a huge passage, but I think, I think it's a good one that, that stands alone. Um, Yeah, I'm having to find it too. Joshua judges Ruth. Uh, so yeah, um, Ruth. Just want to read this section from Ruth, uh, chapter one, fifteen through eighteen. This is just kind of Ruth's little little speech here with Naomi. So it says, and she said, uh, this is Naomi speaking, and she said, "See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law." But Ruth said. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So... What, uh, yeah, uh, Royce? Okay, sure, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Um, I see this one as a, as a response. Mm -hmm. You, you see no, no reason other than I've made a commitment to this person, 
So, I mean, speaking to people about making a profession of faith to follow Christ is, there may be no logical reason that you can come up with of benefit to yourself other than salvation. You know what I mean? Like, you might weigh the cost and determine that my life's actually going to get more difficult. I may have to give up things that I don't want to give up. But because of the of that relationship and the desire for that relationship, that it's worth the cost. Because it would have been easier for Ruth to stay home. Much easier. Um, and I'm going to piggyback go back onto Exodus. Sure. Is um, with that but that passage talking about the tension that's going on in Egypt, I think it's, it's really kind of almost like a teaser in those shows that we watch on Netflix and stuff where it's like the end of a season and you have all this tension of like what's going to happen and to let people who don't know the story to sort of process through. What do you think is going to happen? Oh, God's going to blast Pharaoh. And yet we see God's mercy shown time after time after time and you'd go well he doesn't deserve that mercy but but as you process that to not I always want to fill in all the blanks for him Mm, but well I think giving them time to process the good question and to think through what they would do and see how much more merciful God is or in some places how much more um, vengeance or wrath he pours out on sin you know what I mean he's He's so much more of both, more more holy and yet more merciful than we are. So it, good. it builds up his glory if we kind of let them process a little bit, but it's really hard for us to be quiet. So I'm going to be <laughs> quiet now. No, that's good. Royce, did you want to? No? You're on team, Matt. Um, when I read this, I kind of thought about what Tanner had said with Exodus, it kind of points towards God's sovereignty. You see Naomi here who loves Ruth, but if Ruth had listened to Naomi, she would have ruined the plan, you know, and you see God's sovereignty um, in this, in his glory of what his plan was um, for Ruth to push back against the person who was the follower of Christ. So I think that's interesting. You see someone that loves Christ, pushing against the story, so. I actually see a lot of God within this particular passage because every person in, throughout the world at this point in time is still made in the image of God, even though there's different uh, ethnicities and stuff like that. And so what we see is Ruth's realization that the image of God is actually on her. And to a certain extent, we're already getting what the Lord promised, context is everything, and I feel so bad for Joel because it's a really hard thing to do within like these small chunks of verses, but we see the beginning of the fruit of the promise to Abraham here where this promised seed, Abraham's people are going to be a blessing to all the nations because they belong to God's people. And Naomi, or excuse me, Ruth recognizes that, that she is not actually a Moabite woman right? She's Moabite. Moabite. She's actually the Lord's. Um, And so it's kind of like, well, to whom are we held accountable to? For Ruth, it's I'm held accountable to God, not because I'm Moabite, but because I'm the Lord's. Yeah, and it's a beautiful picture. Even you think of Jesus saying, like, you have to be willing to leave family, mother, father, you know, everything for me. And I mean, Ruth's actually doing that, you know, leaving everything, her nation, identity, identity, the religion of her own people. And she, you know, she speaks, you know, the, the name there in uh, verse 17, you know, she says, you know, may the Lord do so to me. I mean, she's using the name of Yahweh. Like she, through her connection with, yeah, I guess her husband who died and, and Naomi and everything, she knows, she knows the, you know, the covenant name of God and she's calling out to him. So. And even makes a little covenant as well. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Anyone else wanted to? Oh, yeah. This is why we should all sit closer together. I don't know if this is Christ or response, but it says, you know, uh, whether thou go, I will go. That's like Christ um, with the disciples. They have no home. They have no anything. And so we follow Christ just as she followed Ruth. 
And I don't know if that's Christ or response. Yeah, no, I, th I think you can see, yeah, see that connection there. It, it can bring to mind, yeah, the, what the disciples did, what Jesus called them to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I think in terms of, in terms of, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of this stuff has been covered, I think. In terms of Christ, certainly, um, and this is maybe a little bit more looking at the, what's to come in this story, right, and, and the, whole, the whole book of Ruth. But we can see a connection with Ruth in terms of being this, like Tanner said, this faithful and godly Moabite who, who joins herself to, you know, the Hebrew, the God of the Hebrews. Um, but then she's, she's not only grafted into the, the Israelite people, but she's grafted into the genealogy of King David, right, and ultimately of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, beautiful picture. I mean, again, that's her response of faith um, to uh, what she knew of God, but also um, this kind of foretaste of Christ and connection to, to his coming, which is pretty amazing. Good. Um, let's do at least, at least one more here. Let's try uh, 1 John. 1 John 4, 7 through 10. This one's kind of interesting. Towards the end. So, yeah, First John 4, verses 7 through 10. So I'll, I'll read these. And then we'll, if there's anyone who has a suggestion on this side, we'll try to start, start with this side. Um, so, yeah, 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So... What do you see there, or what, what would you say would be the, the strongest, or the one that you would want to really focus or start off with? I think it's really obvious that it's God. It's just God, 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 God. And then just the love of God specifically, that he then sent his own son to come and save us, so. Sure. And, and again, I mean, it just goes to show, I mean, the whole, the gospel story, right, those four things, they, they all go together. You, you, it, it's, it's almost like you couldn't just explain Christ without explaining God and man and, and our response. And, and to talk about God and his love, you, you can't really stop there and then not say, and of course, then he sent his son because of that love. So they're all tied together. And that's why hopefully you can actually share the whole gospel, even if you really only have one starting point. This is, we kind of see our response here. We kind of see man's sin here. Hopefully from there you can explain the rest of it if you, if you understand and know, know that gospel. Um, anyone else want to? Jacob? Well, there's definitely a response here, you know, that, that is love, you know. We, God's love for us is a response that we love other people's as well, so... Yeah, and, and definitely, like, that idea, well, first of all, we, it, there's a reference to, you know, whoever loves has been born of God, right? So we, we need to be, become that new creation, be born of God, and then we need to be those loving people who, who demonstrate that they know God, right? Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God. So our response um, is shown in how we love, or that is our response to love others, but that shows our connection to God. Yeah, Jacob? Uh, I see all four in this passage. I mean, we see that God is love, you know, and because of that love, he's, um, he loves man, which we see as sinful because he had to send a sacrifice because man is sinful, so they had to send Christ, which is now our perfect sacrifice, and our response because of God's love towards us is to love others, you know, around us and whoever God places in our life, so. 
Exactly. Yeah. No, this is a great, this is such a great, pa- I mean, we all know it's a great passage. It's such a great passage because really all four are there, and, and you really, there's no way to make the argument that each, each one of those is not really shown there. Um, yeah, and I think with, with man and our sin, both, you know, you have both it's talking about, you know, Jesus had to come to be the propitiation for our sins, right, to appease God's wrath. Um, but also, there's that part in, in verse 8, right? Anyone who does not love does not know God. And we, we don't love, you know, it, look, humanity writ large, right? Each one of us, we don't love as we should. And it's because we don't know him. It's because we're separated from him. And so that, there's our need right there. There's our problem. Um, and then, yeah, clearly Christ, clearly our response. So, yeah, so that's a great, that's a great passage. That'll preach, right? Okay, well, let me, let me go ahead and, uh, well, real quick, if anyone just has a question before we close that they really wanted clarification or, or we're still feeling confusion. Yeah, Tanner? Yeah, make sure next week um, to come back because what we're going to do is we're going to show you guys how to do kind of everything that we've been teaching you the last three weeks. And I'm already thinking in my head, I want to give uh, Brent and Joel an obscure text for all of us to work through so that you guys can see how we can all do this. And uh, we'll be calling upon you guys. So make sure you do come back next week. Come back for Stump the Pastors. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let me, uh, yeah, let me just pray to dismiss us. God, thank you for this time. We thank you um, for just all the riches that are in your word. We pray as we are reading it personally and as, also as we're reading it together that you would just continue to use it. Help us to grow, help us to mature, and help us to see, uh, to see Jesus as we open the pages of our Bible. And we know that is the work of your Holy Spirit. We know your Holy Spirit longs and desires to do that. So we just pray that that would happen and even happen this morning um, as we gather again to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast has been a service of South Canyon Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this production has been an encouragement to you. May God bless you.